to Teledyne Advanced Chemistry Systems Tech Talk podcast. Our goal is to bring you useful information and offer solutions for your applications and analytical needs. Teledyne Advanced Chemistry Systems represents a group of companies existing of Teledyne Techmar, Teledyne SeaTech, Teledyne Lehman Lab, and Teledyne Hastings. Welcome to the Tax Talks podcast. I'm Amy Nutter, VOC Applications Chemist here at Teledyne Techmore, and this is part three of our GC column series with Chris English from ResTech. Please check out part one and two to learn more about which GC column is best for your VOC purge and trap analysis and some method development. Today, we will be discussing troubleshooting from your purge and trap all the way to the column. Our guest speaker is Chris English, who is the laboratory manager at ResTech Corporation. He has managed a team of chemists in ResTech's innovations laboratory since 2004. Before taking the reins of the laboratory, he spent seven years as an environmental chemist and was critical to the development of ResTech's current line of volatile GC columns. Prior to joining ResTech, he operated a, ver- a variety of gas chromatographic detectors conducting method development and sample analysis. Chris holds a BS in environmental science from St. Michael's College here in the USA. Welcome, Chris, and thank you for joining me today. All right. Thanks, Amy. And like we said, this is our third podcast in collaboration with Teledyne Techmar. And we can just take a quick look back at our other presentations. In our first podcast, we talked about choosing a volatile column. And that was different stationary phases that are appropriate for volatiles analysis and the different selectivities that they offer, as well as column configurations, whether it be thickness, length, or ID. And then we stepped into method development and method translation using method translation software. In the second podcast, we did a deep dive into ProEasyGC, which really allows us to take our compounds enter them into a program, and it will give you a list of appropriate columns, and each one of those columns has been optimized specific to your compounds. Now, in this third podcast, we'll do an overview of purge and trap in relation to troubleshooting. So we'll look at wet purge, dry purge, desorb, desorb preheat, bake, look at different trap selections and injection port connections, and then also some instrumental troubleshooting on the GC and the mass spec. So first of all, just to take a quick overview of purge and trap, why why do we actually use purge and trap? Because sometimes I get that question and it, it kind of sets me back for a second. No, wait a minute. So the reason we, we're using purge and trap is we have five 5,000 microliters of water and we're trying to get it onto a GC system. In order to do that, we're going to purge gas through that water and those volatile components will then leave that water and we'll be able to concentrate those on a trap. At that point in time, we can heat the trap, desorb it, concentrate those compounds again at the head of the column, and then use temperature for the oven so that those compounds start to partition in and out of the stationary phase and reach the detector at different times. And that's really the whole thing behind purge and trap. So let's just take a quick look at wet purge. So with wet purge, we're actually using about 40 mils a minute for anywhere between 10 and 12 minutes and stripping those volatiles out. So it's a dynamic action of removing volatiles and putting them onto the trap. So In troubleshooting, what would we expect to see if we had a leak during this time? And one thing we would see is high CO2 at the front. 
if we've been running the system and everything looks great, and then all of a sudden we see high CO2, that's either we have a lot of CO2 in our water or we have a leak during purge. And the reason we see the CO2 is because we're not scanning low enough to see the air water. And so the thing that we are going to see is mass to charge 44 at the front of our chromatogram, given that we're scanning from 35 AMU up to 350 on our mass spec. And in this case, we are going to assume that you're running a mass spec. So in a dry purge situation, we're just removing the moisture from a trap. Now, in this case, the trap, if the trap has materials that will hold water, such as silica gel, dry purge will not work. You can dry purge all day long and it won't work. Whereas if you have carbon-like materials that do not easily hold on to water, a dry purge will remove that. So we've got a dry gas that can, can remove the methanol and water uh, during that time. And what you'll see is typically people will do a dry purge from one to four minutes, but usually you want to do two minutes or longer. Now in a desorb sequence, we're doing a desorb preheat. <laughs> And a desorb preheat is so that we can get those compounds so they're no longer absorbed to the packing material and that they're ready to go. So if we don't do a desorb preheat, it takes, it takes an actual, it actually takes a little longer for those compounds to come off of the packing material. And in those cases, uh, we would see distortion of the peak shape. And then we get into the desorb, which is right where we're transferring those compounds in reverse order. So when we are purging, we're putting the analytes, we'll say, on the top of the trap. When we desorb, we are pushing gas from the bottom of the trap and then back out again, depending upon your configuration of your system. Now in trap bake, we're now removing anything that's left on the trap that's a non-target compound. So our matrix and high molecular weight compounds that may have gotten on there, especially if we're doing something like gasoline analysis, where we, are, we may in fact get higher molecular weight um, analytes on there. Um, those times for bake, baking out can be minimized by increasing the flows. And there's a lot of different ways you can optimize those. Um, one thing to look for when we're troubleshooting is if we're seeing a lot of artifact peaks, it can be that we have a leak at the trap. And so if oxygen gets onto our trap during the bake cycle, it can degrade the trap. And so in our next run, we're going to start to see these ghost peaks that come off. Um, and historically, if you've got a carbon type trap, you can look for mass to charge 57. And that's kind of indicative of either trap material or other uh, alkanes that are getting onto your system, maybe from some other place. Well, that's great. That was a really great overview of, you know, purge a trap and what to look for if you are having, you know, issues, uh, you know, little troubleshooting tips here and there. So you mentioned the trap bake. What are the requirements of a trap? So it's, it's an interesting question because like off the cuff, I say we want a trap to do everything. We want it to be able to trap compounds and yet release those compounds because it's it may be easy to find a material that will hold on to your compounds but there are many times where we have a material and it will not release the compounds and that's really why we have a multi-bed trap system so they'll have many different layers so that the compounds are lightly held on those different layers in their in their order of adsorbency and so we're, we're trying to find materials that will trap the things like naphthalene, 
but will also trap very light things like the freons and then also trap alcohols, oxygenates, ketones, aldehydes, all of these other types of compounds. So when we look at a, a typical trap and we, we assume that you're going to load the trap from the top, we would have our high boilers and that would be something like a carbopack material. Um, or it could be a silica gel or it could be a 10X. And then as we go down, we use even stronger and stronger absorbency and we use a, a smaller mesh size. That means a smaller particle size. So if we're looking at something like carboxin 1000 and carboxin 1001, that may have 120 mesh size. So it's a real fine particle, which gives it a very high surface area and does really well for trapping the gases. And that's those first six gases in your chromatogram, the freons. So if we look at some common types of traps, we talked a little bit about the silica gel. Um, you know, the, one of the traps is the number nine trap, which would be the Vocarb 3000. That's a very common trap. Um, and again, if we, talk, if we look at the silica gel type traps, they're going to hold the water. And so whatever water you get on that trap, you cannot use a dry purge to remove. Now, sometimes with optimized conditions, you're able to run that in a way that it doesn't interfere with your first six gases. But many times with some of these silica gel traps, um, you will have issues with water at the front end. Now, there are several different ways to connect to the purge and trap. And really about 90% of the population is going to connect right through the inlet. But the thing to consider there is that the septa bleed can contribute at the front of the column. If you're not using the instrument, you should set it at a higher temperature so that the septum bleed does not condense on the head of the column while it's sitting idle. So generally we'd set that to 120 degrees in the oven. Um, and then also uh, for your transfer line, um, there are a lot of different things that we can look at with that transfer line on activity. And we'll talk about that um, later on. So just an overview on the troubleshooting, right? We want to isolate the system components. Um, we can make a direct injection in the GC since we've got it configured through the inlet. Um, we can separate, if we have an auto sampler attached to a purging trap, we can separate those and troubleshoot it. If it's combined, if it's a combined system where it's the auto sampler and the purging trap is all one system, um, then we can still put samples directly into the purge vessel. And so there's a variety of different ways that we can separate and isolate the different systems. Um, the other thing we want to do is observe and log down everything that we're doing so that we have a record of everything we've done and so that we can share the work that we're doing with our colleagues and troubleshooting so they can help us, right? Um, or if you have to call tech service, you know exactly what you've done. And so some things that we're going to look at is like peak tailing and ghost peaks and low response and compound specific issues. Well, you just mentioned low response. What what would I do if I have low or no response? Yeah, and so this this would assume that we have a low response on the purge and trap system. Um, but we can first do our direct injection into the GC inlet. And if we receive a signal and that signal looks good, and especially if we're doing the uh, BFB type injections, we know what to expect like if we've done a bromofluorobenzene injection. So we know what kind of response we should be getting if we do a direct injection. We can compare it to our previous BFB. Um, and then at that point, we want to check the purge, 
make sure that our purge flow is correct, make sure our desorb flow is correct. We can use a leak detector to look for leaks um, during the cycling. Um, and we want to check that trap, make sure that we don't have any leaks on there. Um, and then also check to make sure that we have the correct trap in there. I know I used to have a whole variety of traps and sometimes I would install the wrong trap. Um, and they just have the stamps on them. And I think it was the J trap I accidentally put in there. Um, I'm, I'm, it was, uh, it was designed just for BTEX. And so the gases didn't show up and it took me a long time to figure out what the problem was there. Um, it should have not taken me that long to figure it out, but it did. Sometimes that happens. And, you yeah. know, and if you have a Tecmar Atomic XYZ or a Lumen, we, we do offer a leak check within our software. So that could help pretty much right away if you think that the problem is within the purge and trap system. We have a, um, a whole walkthrough. And if it happens to fail leak check, it'll go through subsystems. And within those subsystems, it will narrow down, you know, if it's in the glassware, if it's in the trap, and it'll try to help you point you in the right direction. But I know sometimes you do need to do this hands-on leak checking uh, to really try and narrow it down. So Yeah, and that's great because the leak yeah. checks work really well um, on, you know, the automated leak checking. Yeah, so, you know, Walk me through how do I, uh, if I do still have that low or no res no response in in the purge and trap auto sampler. So what, one, of, one of the areas where I've had, I've had issues that I couldn't figure out what it was, was um, in the six port valve. So if you have a leak during the six port valve, you can run the purge and trap manually. The other thing you can do is you can set your mass spectrometer and park it down at 10 AMU. And then you can move through and toggle through the different cycles and you'll actually get a slug of air that comes out if you have a leak during the, um, during your desorb cycle, um, or even during your, um, your purge ready cycle. So if there's a leak during that time, you'll be able to see exactly where it is just by setting your mass spec at 10 AMU and looking for that leak. Oh, that's a great piece of advice. Yeah. So, and, and um, yeah. So, if we're if if we're like looking at our GC system for a uh, low response on there, um, again, we do that direct injection, and we're not getting a signal. And you know what I always tell people is ninety percent of our problems are are in the injection port, and because there are so many fittings there, right? Yes. And so, you know. But outside of that, we want to make sure that we've got all of our signal cables and our detector assignments. I I have uh, set the Agilent up where I messed up the configuration and did not have the assignments correct on the GC, and therefore I had no signal, which is a little bit embarrassing. Um, and then the other thing is to check your carrier flow, um, and then make sure you check your make sure your now the newer some of the newer mass specs you can actually look in the window and see that the filament is on, right? doesn't get any easier than that or you can toggle between the two filaments and then or you can do your um your pftba um spectrum scan to make sure that everything is functioning okay and just check to make sure the pftba looks good yeah what about ghost peaks so ghost peaks um 
can, first of all, like drive us crazy because many times they're hard to find the source and they show up randomly. And if we're doing level four legally defensible data um, for the EPA or under contract, we cannot have a blank that has an extra peak in it. Like it's just not acceptable. Um, so therefore we're running blanks over and over and over again, trying to get a clean blank so we can run our sample and praying that when we run the sample, that the ghost peak doesn't show up in there either. Because again, then we've got to rerun everything. Um, so one of the things we're looking for are siloxanes are one of the biggest sources of, um, ghost peaks. And siloxanes can come from a whole variety of places. Even if we have a valve on the back of the instrument, that valve has a very thin layer of silicone oil on it. That silicone oil prevents the valve from leaking. It actually creates a better seal and it allows the valve so it doesn't stick and so it doesn't wear out. Um, but downstream from that, you've got to have a trap like a triple filter so that you can capture anything that comes off of that. Um, we wrote a blog on just the off-gassing from valves alone. On a new instrument, you'll see cutting oils, which are the hydrocarbons, um, and then impurities in the gas supply lines, which have to be dealt with with a triple filter. One thing to keep in mind is you, if you're concentrating volatiles out of 5 mils or 25 mils, whatever your sample volume is, onto a trap, you're also concentrating those impurities as well. And so in purge and trap, it's especially important to have extremely pure carrier gas. Um, also in ghost peaks, because, because we have cold spots, so we have condensation of compounds at those spots and then they slowly bleed off. And then, you know, less common is your trap breakdown. That's only generally when you have a leak because um, most people aren't going to over, um, over temp their trap. Right. And also another good piece of advice if you are seeing peaks is you could set up your GCMS to run and put your purge and trap in desorb only. So it'll just desorb off of the trap. And then if you're seeing those artifact peaks of benzene or toluene or something like that, you'll happen to know that your, your trap is breaking down and you can replace it. Right. No, that's an excellent point. And the 10X trap can generate those BTEX compounds. So that's that's one of the materials that can break down under oxygen into those types of compounds. Mm -hmm. Are there other con compound specific problems that we should look, look for? So it's kind of nice with having the mass spec and the purging trap because we're able to identify, we're able to identify siloxane contamination and try to figure out the source of it. But we're also, we have all of these compound specific things that we can look at. Now, bromoform, we can, we can attribute that to activity, but it's more complicated than that, right? Because it doesn't purge well. Um, it reacts on a hot metal surface. And so we've got, we've got multiple different things that that indicates. And so it might not just point to one thing. Uh, bromomethane is another good example because bromomethane sometimes doesn't do well in the trap. Um, and it also is active on a hot metal surface and it doesn't, it's not of the gases. It's not as good as some of the other gases as far as response goes. And it interferes with the methanol. It elutes at the same time methanol does on many stationary phases. Um, and then you have compounds like 2-chlorolethylvinyl ether that are reactive. 
Um, but they're also, they can interact with other compounds and that's why they come in a separate mix. They're not mixed in with all the other compounds initially. So if your standards are sitting around for too long, your two cleave can break down. Now, chloroethane can be breakthrough on the trap. And so that means that the trap is getting old um, and it's time to replace the trap. It could also mean that your purge flow is too high too, and that would cause breakthrough. And breakthrough is when the compound is no longer held by the trap and it just goes right out through the carrier vent. Um, so thermal instability where we have active sites can also be 111 trichloroethane. Um, and another one is 1122 tetrachloroethane um, where we have activity on hot metal surfaces. And again, if you have contamination or you've had a foamer that goes through can also cause some of these problems. Um, but that's more an issue with like ketones and ketones are an indication of moisture. If you have moisture in the system, which could be a cold spot, a cold spot will condense moisture and then you'll lose your ketones. And of course, acetone is sometimes difficult to figure out what's going on. But if you have something like MEK and you're losing it, that is also uh, moisture. Styrene is pretty rare. I mean, only if you're getting a lot of sunlight. We, we had an instrument. The only reason we talk about styrene is just because it's a funny story. Um, we had an instrument that was sitting next to the window. And when the sun came out, our styrene would drop, which I thought was really hilarious because it took one of the organic uh, PhD chemists walked by and he's like, that's going to kill your styrene, <laughs> you know, which is kind of, you know, not something that we ever even thought about. Right. Um, and then naphthalene, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. And then naphthalene, again, is cold spots. You can lose the naphthalene um, uh, via the cold spots. Now, on, on to our mass spec troubleshooting. Um, the nice, again, the nice part with mass specs are we can do our air water check. And that is we're looking at 18, mass charge 18 and 28, compared to the base peak of PFTBA, which is 69. And we want those to be 4% or lower down in that range on an Agilent system. Now, other manufacturers may have different air-water ratios that they're looking for because um, some instruments are more sensitive to the air-water so they can see it better, which means you have to be below 6% as opposed to below 4%. But generally on an Agilent, you want to be below 4%. One thing to do if you have a leak on your mass spec is you're not going to be able to find it with a leak detector because the mass spec is under vacuum. So anything from the second half of the column all the way to the mass spec is under vacuum or the, at least the very front of the uh, column as it goes into the mass spec. So one thing you can do is if you have areas around the mass spec, you can use methanol. So on the seals, you can use the methanol and then you're going to scan for mass to charge 31. Or, which a little more easy is to use the dust off. And then you want to park your mass spec on 51 and 65. And you'll see a very quick spike and then it disappears. So you have to be watching for it. Matter of fact, you have to be looking at the screen while you're doing the leak check. Otherwise, it happens so quickly you won't even notice it. Unless it's a big leak and then, of course, it'll take a while. But I've had some real small leaks where I hit the dust off and it's just a quick spike and it's gone. So, and it's, that is still a leak because you're going to get a lot of air water in through there. Um, and then you, of course, depending upon your model and mass spec, you can look at the source pressure. Um, and if you have a source pressure gauge, um, again, there's contamination from the mass spec 
whether you have silicone oils or rough pump oils. Rough pump oil is going to be mass charge 55 through 57, 61 through 67, 81 through 85, and 95 through 99. And that's on a rotary vane type pump. We really recommend that you use a diaphragm or a scroll type pump. Um, but again, you want to talk to your instrument manufacturer um, to get more details on that. And then if you're using an older instrument, you might have a diffusion pump, which is going to be mass charge 77, 115, 141, 168 are going to be the most common ones that you would see. Of course, the other thing we chase around a lot are plasticizers like phthalates. And that's very distinctive for us because we don't have a lot of compounds that have that mass charge 149. So that's pretty distinctive. We can, uh, we can review what we've learned here. Um, we want to make sure we isolate the problem, right? So we're going to check for leaks in the purging trap. Um, we're going to look at those compound-specific things, um, all of those different compounds, and look at uh, and get clues from that. So whether it's 2-chlorovinyl ether, um, our bromoform, or our 1122-tetrachloroethylene, um, or whether it's ketones that are caught, getting caught up in the water. Um, those are all things that you can look for. And then you want to document your troubleshooting. So you can share it with your colleagues and say, this is what I've tried. What else should I try? And get advice from other people. And don't hesitate to call tech service. Oh, yes, definitely. I, I never hesitate to call technical service. They're very good at their job. And they help you very quickly. And it, you can get back to work as fast as possible. Right. Thank you so much for your time today, Chris. I'm sure our listeners have learned a lot about troubleshooting today, lots of really great tips. We will include links uh, on our podcast channel under this episode for other useful information relating to what we covered today. And thanks again for joining us. All right, great. Thanks, Amy. Thanks for listening to the Tax Tech Talk podcast. For more information about our products and the solutions we offer, please visit www.teledyneacs.com. If you like this podcast, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're hearing this show. That way you'll never miss an episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next time.